Morning, everyone. All right. You guys can hear me okay? I feel very, I can hear everything. And so, um, happy Mother's Day. My name is Zach Park. Uh, uh, my wife, Corey, and uh, Corey's not here. Uh, my sister-in-law, Teresa, and my, one of my sons, Noah, is here uh, with me. Um, and yeah, Corey and I used to be members at this church and uh, recently uh, moved on. But, uh, and I, I've... I've been serving with college ministry for about a little bit over a decade and then recently moved over to serving with ministry called Family Life. And so if you guys want to, you know, Google FamilyLife.com, you can. I uh, just really recently took a, one of the national director roles. And so um, that's, kind of, that's kind of who I am. But I don't want to stand up here with quote-unquote credentials um, because... And so we need to pray for Pastor Roy, by the way. Uh, he... Uh, he, he, ha he has COVID, and he, he's doing well. He's totally fine. He's probably even on the tail end of getting better. Um, but he called me up and asked, hey, hey, Zach, could you fill in for me? Well, he called me up on, on Friday morning, and I had just gotten back Thursday, Thursday afternoon. I've, I've, been out of, I've been out of town all week and pretty tired, and I see my phone ringing. And, you know, when phone actually ring these days, that's almost important thing, right? Because Pastor Roy almost always texts me, and so I see his name. I'm like, uh-oh, what happened? So I, I take the call, and, and one of the ways that you guys can, as, as the church, can pray for, for, for your pastor is, is that, that I want you guys to pray for Pastor Roy, especially in his, during his sermon preparation. And the reason for that is pastors spend enormous amount of hours praying and researching and putting together a sermon. And, and sometimes sermons go really, really well. You know, people come to know Jesus. It's awesome. And sometimes sermons maybe fall flat. <laughs> and, and sometimes this has happened as part of a normative experience of any pastor anywhere. And so pray for him. And, and, and right now, I, I want you guys to pray for me. Uh, I want to be 100% real because I said yes Friday morning. You guys know that's not that much time to prep. And I, I feel, feel um, just unequipped and to be bringing the word to you guys this morning. And yet, so, so pray for me as, as, I, um, as I preach this morning the word of God. And so we're going to be in Proverbs 31 um, so if you guys can turn to Proverbs 31, um, some of you who's been Christian for a while, you might be thinking already, oh, this is a very appropriate sermon for, for Mother's Day. Um, and and, and that, that's it's rightly so. This message is, you know, tribute to moms in this room, um, whatever type of mom you are, a grandmother, all right, or mom of multiple kids, one kid whatever it is, that, that you deserve to be praised, uh, you deserve honor in our community, within your family, within our church. Uh, not just today, but every single day. And yet, I, I want to really reframe how we talk about biblical masculinity and biblical femininity and what that actually means. Because far often, we, we forget that all of Scripture is for teaching and the edification of all Christians, right? It's not just this passage is for men, this passage is for women, but all of Scripture is, is good for teaching and rebuking and correcting in righteousness. And, and so, so, so I want to reframe that a little bit. And so, so let me pray for us, 
um, and then we will get into the text. Father, um, I come before you this morning uh, needing the Spirit in my life, needing the Holy Spirit to, to fill me. Um, God, I pray that as we, as, we talk about, as, as we talk about Proverbs 31, as we talk about what a godly character is, God, would you, would you open our hearts, open our ears to hear, Lord? And I pray that, that all of us in this room would remember what you have done on the cross for us, that, that you have died for our sins, that you have you given us new life and so that we may have eternal life in you. Let, it, let us know that on, on this Mother's Day. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. And so before we get into the text, uh, I wanna ask you guys a question. Um, today's Mother's Day, and so picture an, ide- picture an ideal uh, Christian woman, just in your mind. You know, what, what's the persona of this ideal Christian woman? What, a, what is the profile of this woman? Just think about it and picture it and what you know about Christians, or if you're not a Christian, that's okay. Just think about what a Christian woman is and, and things like that. And so, is she married? Is this ideal woman in your mind, is she, is she married? If she, if she is married, does she have kids? If, if so, how many kids? Just picture that in your mind a little bit right now. And so, and, and some other kind of, you know, surface kind of a things like, does she cook well in your mind? How does she dress in your mind? How does she speak the manner and posture of, she, how, how does she carry herself? You know, you know, animals follow her in the forest, right? All the kids listen to her, right? Um, what kind of what kind of car does she drive? Right. I know you have a picture in your mind. Some of you may be similar pictures. Some of you may be not so similar pictures. But all of you have some sort of a picture in that mind in your mind. But notice what we do here. Notice that we are focusing on what she does rather than who she is. All right. Let me let me rephrase that. Notice that, she, that we are talking about the profile of this person and we are focusing on the duties and activities of this, what she is doing rather than, rather than who she is in Christ. Where does that come from? The picture and the list that I, the questions that I asked, none of that's in the Bible, by the way, right? And, and yet, we have this preconceived notion of a, what a good, ideal mom, wife, Christian woman ought to be. And, and these are actually false pictures. These are false pictures of, a, of a, what a Christian woman ought to be like because we have taken what, what God has said is that, that, that our works, we're not saved by our, by our works, right? But rather, who, our identity in Christ. And so we have these false pictures, and, and once you have these false pictures, and you have different expectations of that person, right? And, and, and if you're not yet married yet, and so I see some college students in here, maybe some of you are married, probably most of them aren't, but, but you have this false sense of, hey, what a, what a Christian woman ought to look like, and, and expectations in that. Or if you're a woman in this room, what if you don't actually fit that profile? It's actually really unhealthy in the church. 
And I'll, I'll ask you the same thing about men. Picture an ideal man, a Christian man, right? What does he look like? You know, is he, is he well-read? If he is well-read, how many books does he read in a year? What kind of books does he read in a year? Right? Does he have a position in the church? If so, is he, what is he? Is he an elder? Is he a pastor? Is he, is he a deacon? Is he a small group leader? What, what is that persona? What is that profile? You know, is, is he a coffee drinker? If so, what kind of coffee does he drink? Right? What does this ideal Christian man look like? Is he, is he handy at home? Again, you probably have some sort of a picture of a white, what, an, what an ideal Christian man ought to look like. And yet, we do the same thing. We focus on what he does, his activities, rather than who he is in Christ. One of, one of the things that I, I harp on a lot within the church, and, and Pastor Roy and I have, have, have had lots of discussion about this during, during, during the membership process and things like that. You know, in, in the membership process, if you guys go through membership at this church, you guys will talk about the qualification of elders and deacons. And so it's 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, 5. There's, there are lists of what the qualification of an elder ought to be. And if you actually look at it, 90, everything except one, by the way, everything except one has to do with character rather than how much you know. But in the church, what do we, what do we focus on for the most part? We focus on the most part. Once you get saved, you know, you get baptized. Baptism service is amazing. It's a profession of your faith. And, and, and once you're baptized, what do we do? We teach you on the Bible, which is really important, by the way. Right? We teach you about doctrine, which is also really, really important. But far often, we don't do character formation. Far often, we don't do how, how one ought to live. Because it's like, oh, well, maybe that's a private life for you, private life for me, and just however you want to act, you can do it. But hey, we got to know the Bible, right? I went to seminary, and, and that's the same thing, right? If you go to seminary, 95% of the courses that you'll take is about knowledge rather than practical application, or rather than how you ought to live, how you ought to walk with the Lord. And, and that's a problem. And that, that sets a culture in the church of men and women, uh, men and women ought to do certain things to look like Christian rather than what your character is like. And this wasn't created, this, what, what happens in the church in this realm, it wasn't created by secular theology or philosophy or, or, even, or even feminism, right? But, but we have believed in the lie that, that our works actually matter, right? Our, our works, what we do, actually matter, rather than believing what God has for us and he has, he has turned our identity from works-based salvation to grace-based salvation. And so we need to believe that God has grace for us in our, in our marriages, in our homes, in our families, in our, in our dating, and, and what our, our biblical masculinity and femininity actually look like. And if we go back to the qualification of elders... I said most majority, all of them except one, is, is character, right? Are those things only for men? The character traits. 
First Timothy 3 says, you must be above reproach. An elder ought to be sober-minded. He, he ought to be self-controlled. He ought to be gentle. He ought to be not quarrelsome. Don't argue too much. Is that only for men? I would argue it's not. Women ought to strive for those qualifications of elders. No matter what the function or the roles, we can have, the, you know, in the, in the Christian world, there's lots of debates about that, but, but no matter what, where, where people stand, is that all of the Bible is for all of us, and so we ought to, the, even in those elders' qualifications, is, is that, that women ought to strive for those things. Well, today we're going to be in Proverbs 31. It's, it's the... You know, there's Proverbs 31 women, right? There's this, there's this idea of a, idea who this woman is. A lot of it is, well, all of it is actually has to do with character. And, and some of these characteristics, you all men also ought to, you know, strive for as well. And so it's Mother's Day. We're talking through Proverbs 31. And that was a long-winded way of, of saying that, that this is for both men and women, and we need to reframe our work and, and reframe our view on how we see biblical masculinity and femininity. And so, having said all of that, we're going to be in Proverbs 31. And so, um, Proverbs 31, verse 10 through 31. It's a little bit long, and so, so bear with me here. An excellent wife who can find... She's far more, she is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from, far afar, from, from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it, and with the fruit of her hands she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff, and her hands hold a spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her, her hands to the needy. She is not afraid. She's not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are, are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed covering for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them, and she delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with, with wisdom, and, teaching, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful, and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her, give her of the fruit of her hands, and let her works praise her in the gates. Amen. So when you read, we just had a conversation about 
an ideal Christian woman, ideal Christian man, we, we talked about the focusing of what she is doing. Does it, do you feel like this is what the whole passage is doing, maybe? How, do you, how does this make you feel when you read this? Does it make you feel anxious? That's a lot. This is like a perfect, 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 perfect person, right? Right? She wakes up early, the food is provided, she's got this side hustle, and, and, and there's so much going on. And so, does it, does it make you anxious a little bit? Or does it make you feel like, I can never measure up to this thing? What, what is going on here? And, and this is one of the ways that, that we might misread scripture with our Western, Western eyes. Um, this, this passage is, is a poem. And, and how we know it's a poem, it's an acrostic. Acrostic is like when you have a, a word and each word has different letters and each letter you can say something you know, characteristic about that person, right? Maybe you guys did that did it in elementary school or middle school or whatever. Your name, you know, write it vertically and then put a, you know, whatever your name, what your characteristics are, right? We know that because so if, you, if you miss this in translations, but, but we know this when you read it in Hebrew, because every sentence starts with the Hebrew alphabet, Aleph, Beit, Gimel, Dalet, Hey, and on and on and on. And, and it, it's, a, it's a poem. We know it's a poem. Do we, how do we read poems? Even ancient poems, there's different ways to read this. But we all understand that poems are not necessarily a descriptor, right? But poems, poems are about, about beauty and, and trying to relate information, some sort, some sort of an information by, by ways of allegory and al- ways of metaphor. So if you read Shakespeare, right, and, and Shakespeare, I'm not going to pretend to know that I'm, I know a lot about Shakespeare, by the way. But um, if you read Shakespeare, you know, maybe how, how he describes love, how he describes relationship, right? And so he'll, he'll use different metaphors and, and maybe he'll put, you know, bring in flower language, he'll put in, you know, house language, different metaphors that you, he brings in to, to describe what love might be. And it's a poem, because we know it's a poem. If it's a poem, is it, is it right for us to read that and say, hey, let's, let, let's dissect what a flower is and figure out what love is by dissecting what a flower is? No, we, we, don't, we don't do that, right? Because it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a conceptual thing rather than trying to figure out, you know, you know, love is like a flower. What does that mean? Well, flower has, you know, petals and stems and, and, and roots and it needs water. And so, like, we, we, we're not supposed to actually think like that when we're thinking about a, a poem. And same thing is in line here. This is a poem. And... And, and, and quite frankly, that the author is trying to figure out how to convey what a, what a, what a righteous woman looks like. This was written 700, probably around 700 BC, 700 years before Christ came. And so I don't know where you guys are in the women's rights issue and stuff, and I think this last week Roe v. Wade document leaked, and so we're, gonna, we're about to have a lots and lots of conversation about women's rights here in the coming months, both in the Christian spaces and the non-Christian spaces. Um, wherever you fall in that, we know that 700 years before Jesus came, women's rights weren't a thing. Right? There was nothing, no such thing as equal rights. There was no such thing as women being able to 
own property. There was no such thing as women having some sort of any rights even within a context of marriage. And yet the author writes about, about this, this amazing woman who, who, who does all these different things. If you were reading this 700 years before Christ came, you would think this as this, the, this person doesn't exist because they can't. System, like, like systematically, functionally, culturally, this woman cannot exist. So what is the author trying to do here? Well, he's talking about the character, a godly character. That's the title of the sermon today. A godly character of this, this righteous woman. And I want to I wanna go through uh, three points here, three, three different godly women trait, essentially, um, in what, what these things are. And so, first of all, a godly character of a person, this woman, is, is that, he, that she is a trusted friend. That's my first point here. She is a trusted friend. Verse 11, the heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no, no lack of gain. And then it goes on to talk about her, her business ventures. She, she sells things, she makes things, and, and she's a businesswoman. Back then, there's no, there's no such thing as a female businesswoman. That doesn't exist, because culturally speaking. So what, what is going on here? The author is trying to convey that she is a trusted person, that she has integrity. Even within the context of marriage back then, there was no such thing as a you know, husband trusts in her, because it was almost transactional. Marriage was almost transactional, not relational. I want to ask you guys, do you guys have a trusted friend? Like really, really trusted friend in your life? Is, is there somebody that, that you can e not just easily talk to, but share the deepest and darkest secrets that, that, that you have? And that's it's easy to connect. Do you have a trusted friend? I was just looking at a study uh, this week for, for, my, for, my, for my ministry job. Um, the trust level in the United States right now is lowest it's ever been in history, since, as long as they've measured it, which is over 100 years. Like trust between friends, trust between neighbors, trust between colleagues, co-workers, it's the lowest it's ever been. And yet, here's, a, here's this woman who's a godly character uh, who's a trusted friend. She's a trusted partner. I was in Orlando this week for, for, for uh, visiting Orlando, our, our headquarters, and uh, we were only there for three days, but one full day, we, uh, we spent a full day on uh, what, what this thing called the EQI. It's the Emotional Quotient Index. And what it is is that the biggest, um, like biggest predictor of success in a corporate world uh, is, is that it's your, it's your emotional intelligence. Not your like, actual academic intelligence or how smart you are, how street smart you are, but like, the, your, how, you, the, the biggest predictor of your success is how emotionally fit you are and how you interact with other people, how you read the room. And, and so we spent all day like, talking about this in our, in our roles. 
And really, in order for her, this woman, this phantom woman, to have any success in business, is, is that she had to be a trusted friend, and, and, and she had to conduct business with integrity and, and with re along relational lines. Because she was so trusted. Only way that was possible is it would, would have been that she, she was so aware of herself and aware of others that relational connection is actually made, and then business gets done later. And so she, she's a trusted friend. We need trusted friends in our lives. How can we be trusted friends? In your mind, in your small groups, at school, in your home, how can we be trusted friends? Because it's super easy to isolate ourselves, right? You know, post-COVID, people are still kind of still coming out of their shell. Um, if you're married, uh, isolation gets can get be be actually relatively easy because you know kids are hard, life is busy, and so it's just way easier to turn on the YouTube on your phone than than to actually talk to each other. Rather than having oneness, right? How God has created marriages to be in one, it's really easy to be isolated to one another. So how do we become trusted friends? Think about that for a moment. Second, um, a godly a character of a person is, is the one who shows kindness. One who shows kindness. Verse, verse 36, I'm 26, I'm sorry. She opens her mouth with wisdom and teaching of kindness is on her tongue. Verse 20, she, she opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hand to the needy. I think the word kindness ha has a little bit of a branding issue. Um, when we hear about the word kindness, it just feels like, oh, I guess everybody can be kind. You can be kind, I can be kind, yeah, I can be nice to each other, right? That, that's not what a biblical kindness actually looks like. The word kindness um, in Hebrew is the word hesed, hesed. And every time this word is in a passage, I try to point it out. Because almost always it's got a huge significance. Sometimes it doesn't, but almost always in the Old Testament, if this word comes about, it's got a huge, huge significance. It's the same word. Um, it, it, well, it, the word hesed has, has a meaning behind it maybe with love. Kindness with love. Kindness with faithfulness. It's the same word in Book of Ruth. Naomi shows kindness and faithful to, to her um, daughter-in-law, Ruth. It's the same word, the same word that's used uh, in the context of Ruth and Boaz as they get married. Boaz shows kindness towards her, mercy, faithfulness, and love towards her, and they get married. And in fact, it's the word that's used by God's love for us. That God shows kindness towards, uh, towards us. That God shows faithfulness towards us when we were far off and, and gives us his son Jesus. In the New Testament, it's got a, it's got a, a similar um, close relation to the word hospitality. It's the word hospitality. And often we use that word saying, hey, you, thank, thanks for being hospitable. You know, thank you for hosting Bible study. Thank you for hosting, you know, NBA playoffs party, Super Bowl party, whatever, right? That's how we use it often a lot. 
But that's very different than what a biblical hospitality is. This word kindness has said in the New Testament, it's mostly almost always um, related to this word hospitality. And the word is philoxenia. Philoxenia. It's the, um, spelled F-I-L-O. If you want to Americanize it a little bit, it's P-H-I-L-O. Philo, meaning love. Xenia, X-E-N-I-A. Xenia, the others. It's the opposite of the word you might, you might be more familiar with, the xenophobia. Right, xenophobia, when we, when we talk about immigration reform or you know, when we're talking about race dynamics, that, that terminology gets thrown out a lot. Fear of, phobia, right? Fear of others. Fear of who are, who are not like me. Fear of um, who's outside of our community. That's xenophobia, right? Hospitality is the word philoxenia. It's the love of others. It's love of others. That whoever is outside of our community, we show love and kindness and faithfulness. In your life, who are the people who you can show kindness towards who you wouldn't normally do? Think about this word hesed, what it means. The same word that God, when we were far off, all of us in this room, if you, if you claim to be Christian, that we were once far, far away from God. We were once far off from God, far from the church, and yet God shows kindness, philoxenia, to, to us. And so who are the people in your life that you can show kindness to? This righteous woman the author is describing is, is that, that this person shows hesed, to others. This person shows philoxenia to others. Maybe it's, maybe, it's a, maybe it's a gay couple that's living across the street. Is that person going to be invited to your home? It might be just your next door neighbor that you, know, you might have a good, good relationship with, but is that person going to be invited in? Or it's somebody that you just don't like. You can't stand their guts at, at school or, 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 or at work. Are you going to be kind? to that person, that person is far off from God, far from the church. All of us were once far from God and far from the church. But God shows kindness towards us. And the author is saying that that this woman, this righteous woman, shows kindness to others. That's a character. That's a character issue, not, not a theological issue. And lastly, Lastly, a character of a godly woman or a godly person is the one who fears the Lord. Verse 30. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. One who fears the Lord. In other words, one who is wise. Proverbs 9.10 says, says what? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. This woman is wise. She is wise, not just beyond her years, but, but she is wise in her character. She has lived and understands the world in a way that other people may not. And so I'll talk to the men here for a little bit. Don't, don't, don't be intimidated by wise women. Don't be intimidated by wise women. That, that, that woman will, will help you to grow. That woman, that sister in Christ, will speak truth into your life. And we need to, and men need to have years to listen. 
Because often, quote unquote, just because she's a woman, maybe men might not listen. And yet if she is wise, biblically speaking, is that we ought to listen. Secondly, is, is that in, 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 this, in this world, is that if you're a woman, wisdom doesn't mean just intellectually being smart, right? And a lot of college students in here and things like that, it doesn't just mean gaining knowledge, right? Just because I know more things doesn't mean that you are wise. And biblically wise means that we have a, we have a godly and Christian worldview of, of how this world works and is, is being able to speak into issues that, that are biblical. How do we get there? Well, this is the last chapter of a book that's called Proverbs. Proverbs is known as the wisdom book. It's a book of wisdom. And generally, the last chapter of each book in the Bible is really important because it's, you know, you guys know this. When you ever, whenever you read a book, probably the first, you know, first chapter and the last chapter is pretty important. And, and, and this very last chapter, this last section of, of this book of Proverbs, book of wisdom, portrays this woman who is wise. And this, this woman who is ultimately wise. And we all of us ought to strive for that. Practical application might be, you know, God has given us his word. His word is powerful. His word edifies us. His word corrects us. And he's given us a wisdom literature, a book of wisdom. It's got 31 chapters. I might encourage you to read one a day. Take, take one month. And so today is the 7th, 8th, or whatever. Um, read Proverbs 8. It takes really, it's really short, guys. <laughs> and, but but as, as this is God's given wisdom towards us, and as we read his scriptures, we get wise. And maybe that'll translate into your, your intellectual prowess as well. But it's not being about smart. It's being about how do we apply the word of God into our lives. For men, um, maybe I don't know if you guys have friends who are who are Jewish uh, in their heritage, but when I was in St. Louis, I got to go to a, a bar mitzvah, and so bar mitzvah is a is a time when 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 a boy, young boy becomes a man, all right, and it's got it's got tradition that's going all the way to times of Jesus. And, and now it's about, you know, it's like just a big party, right? You know, you get a hotel reservation, lots of party, lots of drinking, lots of, you know, lots of lot of things, you know. The kids get, you know, kids get stocks and bonds and, you know, just, just lot, lots of things that, that are happening in this bar mitzvah. But back in, back in times of Jesus, bar mitzvah was a time when, when, a, when a boy become, become, becomes a man. And normally that took around... Um, at the age of 12 to 16, depending on the child. And at that point, the child was supposed to figure out what he wants to do in life and get an apprenticeship. And so when somebody, generally, once you're 30, whatever your profession is, you would start looking for an apprentice. Um, whether it's whatever trade that you have, whether it's a fisherman or car carpenter or, or whatever, whatever it is. 
When did Jesus start his ministry? When he was 30. But when, when, when did Jesus go to the temple and start teaching people? When he was 12. That's a story of Jesus' young boy becoming a man. And when he's 12, he's understanding that he's understanding that he's becoming a man in and and the Jewish culture. And when he's 30, he goes out and looks for apprentices, or what we call disciples. Um, and some scholars, I don't agree with this, but some scholars say, well, maybe, some, maybe these disciples, you know, Matthew, John, and, you know, John and, and other people, other, all the disciples, maybe they were in their teens. You know, some of the arguments sound like they're teenagers. It's like, I want to be at the right seat of God. No, no I, I need to be, right? Um, and, yet, and yet, through this process, through this process, their characters are formed. Jesus wasn't one to talk about, hey, let's, 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 let's open up the Bible, which at his time was the Old Testament. Let's open up Leviticus. Let's open up Deuteronomy. Let's, let's open up what Moses talked about and, and just read all of it. No. His discipleship was, was character formation of these young men who are in the formative years of their lives. Maybe they were late teens. Maybe they were early 20s. We don't really exactly know historically, but, but it fits the bill of that culture. Right? That the, the Jesus is, 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 is teaching these guys to learn character. How, ought to, how I ought to apply God's word. And similarly, that's the same thing here in, in Proverbs 31. This list, if you look at it as just as a list and what you ought to do, you'll be overwhelmed. Because even back in that day, this was like, this, this is a phantom woman. This doesn't exist. You'll be overwhelmed. But, but we need to learn the character of this person. This person was a trusted friend. Will you be a trusted friend? Maybe you ought to look for trusted friends. Will you show kindness? Not just being nice to other people, but kindness towards who are not like other who, who are not like you. Just like Jesus has done, just like God has done for our lives. Will you show of love and faithfulness, this Hesed, the kindness? And and will you fear the Lord or will you will you gain wisdom? Will you work towards becoming wise in what God has for us to do? Let's pray. Father, I, I thank you so much for, for, for this picture, um, this grace-based picture of what righteous person ought to be like, this righteous woman. Lord, I thank you for this image of, of this woman who, who her character is, is so developed that we feel like we can't even reach it. But Lord, you give us all the grace. You give us grace in our lives, grace, grace in our singleness, grace in, our, in our, our marriages, grace in our families. God, I pray that you would give us the character. You'll help us develop our character in, in being able to follow you, Lord. 
Yes, that we want to know the Bible. Yes, we want to know theology and doctrine, all these things. But Lord, I pray that we'd be able to know the word so well that we would apply to our lives and change our hearts and our character, Lord. God, help us to have godly character in all the things that we do. Help us to be trusted friends. Help us to show kindness. And help us to know what your wisdom is. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.